0: Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Morning with Sai Shantari. Today, we have a very wonderful guest with us. With 20 plus years of entrepreneurial experience, coaching and leading individuals and teams to outstanding results, Dawn Bates is one of the world's best kept secrets and for good reason. She is very selective in regards to who she works with and her strong moral compass guides her to the projects she chooses to take on and delivers impeccable service to all her clients. Dawn's work is vast and her inquisitive mind astounding. Astounding, bringing fresh insights and perspective from 20 years of international travel and working in countries such as UK, Europe, Middle East, Australasia, and with clients spanning five continents, multiple ethnicities, cultures, and languages. With a passion for leadership and cultural diversity, Dawn brings a wealth of knowledge and experience like no other. Her expertise lies in making you rethink your business blueprint, your life and the world we live in, harnessing the deepest freedom of all, your own truth. As well as being an international best-selling author multiple times over and over again, author, strategist and publisher, Dawn specializes in developing brand expansion Step change strategies and global visions, underpinned by her profound wisdom, molecule shaking approach, high energy, and trademark goal. He is an executive contributor and editor for Preeminence magazine, the Vogue of Feminine High Performance, and regular columnist for MSP News Global. Living a location free lifestyle and sailing around the world on yachts, she appears on various m- media channels highlighting and discussing important projects in today's society. He's an expert and authority on leading others to create social change and harnessing the power of their own growth, giving them the confidence to lead effective change in the world on a global stage. So hi Don, how are you?
1: I'm very well, thank you Sean. Just sitting here listening to the introduction, <laughs> I was like... Gosh.
0: Yeah, all, the, all, all our facts is just that you have done so much work that the introduction yeah. was a bit longer.
1: Yeah, yeah well, when you've been uh, working for yourself for 22 years, you do get to choose what you work on and how fast you get to work on them. Um, it's not like, you know, working for someone else and waiting for someone else's budget to be available to train you and waiting for other, pro- other people to develop projects, you end up creating them for yourself.
0: And and honestly when I was going through your work I was personally impressed that one person can do so many things at once like
1: blog writing,
0: <laughs> book, like coaching, what not. Like so hats off to you.
1: Well, I think it comes with being a woman and a mother, to be honest with you, because you know, women are the best project managers out there. Look at everything we have to hold together in the home when you uh, know I, heading up the family and when we're pregnant we have to keep doing all the things around the house making sure we the children and husbands and you know parents and siblings and then the neighbors yeah we're um, we're the best project managers out there
0: yeah i i totally tend to agree um, so <laughs> what is the story behind real miss mermaid
1: ah okay so if From a very young age, I've always been someone who loves having a bath. I love being in the swimming pool, um, in the ocean, not so much in the English channel. That's a bit too cold. Um, But I'm always in the bath or on the water, whether it's frozen skating or what have you. And and then over the years, um, it's kind of just developed instead of it, she's a right little mermaid to Miss Mermaid. Um, and because I now sail around the world, that is a tag that has been linked to me quite a few times. I don't mind. I'm more of um, a Banksy mermaid than a Disney mermaid though. There's nothing sickly <laughs> sweet in Disney about me.
0: Um, so all, all, all the works you do through, and this is just the profit on the professional front. And I'm sure because you said you're also a mother, so you must be doing so many things behind the scenes as well. Um, So how did you, and let me put it very straightforward, how did you become so successful? Like, were you always like this or was it some experiences you had in your childhood? How did you become what you are right now?
1: Um, Through relentless grit and determination, to be honest with you. I'm one of those people that go, oh, that would be a really good idea. Let's go do that. I don't tend to think about how it's gonna happen. I don't tend to think about all the things that could go wrong, I just get on and do it. And I think that it comes from my mum, my mother, um, my mum and my father divorced when I was very young and I saw my mum work a lot of hours. Um, I really wanted to support her and provide for her. And I think the rejection from my father made me want my mum to be proud of me Um, Mm. So I became an overachiever, um, was always looking for my mom to be proud of me. And then when she got married to my dad, um, because I do make a very clear distinction between being a father and a dad, because anyone can be a father, but it takes a real true man to be a dad. Um, Then, you know, I wanted him to be proud of me and wanted my teachers to be proud of me. And I think the legacy of my dad walking out on us and you know, that leaves you with a, I'm not good enough feeling. And so you, you strive all your life to be good enough. And, and at one point you look back and you go, I don't actually need to do that anymore, but you've already achieved so many things. And then you can, you can try and take your foot off the pedal. But, you know, once you get to a certain level, you're like, well, I'm actually really enjoying what I'm doing. And this is feeding into that project. And this is feeding into that project. And that feeds into that project. And you know, even just today I had a message from somebody who um sent me a message um about my latest series of books, the sacral series, and they're they're very difficult subjects to talk about. Um they're involving a lot of abuse and traumas, you know, things such as rape and um systemic abuse and religious abuse. Um, social system abuse and this one lady has sent me a message saying you know she wanted to write to me and say thank you because the first four books are not just her story but they're the story of nearly every woman she knows in one way or another Um, and although she can't give me a public review because it would actually identify her and certain things going on in her life she was just really grateful. And when you get messages like that and you realise that you're making such a difference in other people's lives, who am I to be selfish and not show up for those people? Who am I not to give a voice to those people? Who am I not to inspire those people when they're probably living in a life or a family or a culture or a religious system where they don't have someone cheering them on being their voice?
0: So so the client you're talking about, is she a woman as well?
1: Yes. she is a woman. Um, I don't know where she's from. She didn't sign it. Um, again, showing that, you know, there's fear there. Um, you know, <clears throat> there's, um, mm. there's a lot of fear in the world for people to speak their truth. And I, you know, my mother always used to say, oh, I'm an opinionated little madam. Um, and but the thing is i'm also a very uh strong and driven bookworm i love studying i love being a geek i love information um and with that information i learn a lot so what a lot of people might think are opinions they're actually um they're actually sound proofed ideas sound proof that's not really the right word there but they are backed up by a lot of knowledge and a lot of research and um, yeah, it's a, it's an honour to be able to give voices to people who don't have a voice, which is why I choose to work with um, certain projects. There are lots of people who want have wanted me to publish their books, and we've got halfway through the project, and I've realised that they're not publishing for the right reasons, um they're just publishing because they want the ego trip they just want to have the title of author just to prove themselves or to just have an ego rub and i don't like people like that because like they say he who has the most toys still dies
0: Hmm. so um what do you think uh, the difference between self-published author and being a professional author because um. Even Ooh. the people who are publishing for not the right reasons, they may go ahead and self-publish.
1: Okay. So, um, can you just back up and say what you just said there? Self-published author or a um,
0: like professional author? Um, a
1: professional pro- author. Okay. Um, I have real issue with that. Um, okay. Because regardless of whether you are what you're, I, I'm, I'm believing that you're thinking a professional author is someone who's been published by the top five publishing companies in the world
0: um i'm I'm thinking of a professional author who's who published by a public publisher instead of self-publishing
1: okay so i start well i started out with a publishing company Mm -hmm. um and i had no control over my book they took pretty much all of my money Mm -hmm. and I it took me three years to get my own book back it was a long very expensive process and then I started self-publishing because just like entrepreneurs who start their own business I could go and work for I mean I think you work for Cooper. I could go and work for a big international or mm-hmm. I could get published by a big international or I could come, become an entrepreneur learn how to do it myself but that does not make me any less professional just because I've self published so I really do want to make that distinction that people who self publish it's not that they're not professional it's just that they have chosen because a lot of people don't realize that the publishing houses take 90 percent of an author's income and take all the control if there is merchandise that comes out of it then the publishing company take 90% of all the royalties from all the products. So even though the author wrote it, they only get 10% of whatever it is. And that is largely due to the fact that there's editing fees, there's promotional fees, there is the, you know, there is a book tour organisation, there are people that are constantly marketing it, there are the typesetters, there's all the registrations, there's the translation deal. So I understand why they take a lot of the money. But there are a lot of us we call ourselves indie authors, Mm -hmm. independent authors, because we don't want somebody else in control of our voice. And especially with someone like me who deals with social justice issues, um, I didn't want to get pigeoned into social justice being um, seen as something that um, has, you know, someone who's undressed, unwashed, who's, chained to a tree or lying down on the tarmac that's not that's not the only version of social justice social justice is choosing a topic which actually which is actually having a negative impact in the world and giving a voice to that that is working with people who have become incredibly successful um who have a lot of influence who actually say you know what i want to give my voice or my influence to this cause whether that be homelessness in Argentina, whether that be protecting indigenous lands, whether that be, you know, talking about female genital mutilation, like my last book, Alpha, you know, I Mm -hmm. gave a voice to 20 million women um, and to the 30% of women who are raped within marriage by writing that book. And lots of people did not know those facts. That book was entered into outstanding writing. So when you say professional authors, you really do need to be careful how you phrase that because just because someone self-publishes doesn't mean to say they're not an exceptional author, doesn't mean to say they don't know what they're doing. We actually tend to invest a lot more in our training to make sure we do a great job. And there are millions of boutique publishers out there who actually publish a lot of indie authors. We offer—I mean, I offer publishing services to a lot of authors. I do author coaching with them. Um, I have a team of copywriters, typesetters, editors, um, graphic designers, PR team. I mean, I've got a team of around nearly 15 people around the world on different continents. So even if I'm not available, my team is still working on my clients' books. And then what yeah. we do, we help them get the sales, and then they can use that to actually step up into the top five if they wish to
0: yeah and even i feel like self-published author they they put their all in 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 their content because um most of the time they don't have like such a huge budget to market their things so they they are depending on the content and that's why most of the time when i'm reading the books i feel like self-published authors um the quality of the content is 100 times better than most of the time of the books which are published by the big, um, big uh, publishing houses, so I totally agree with you on that.
1: In some ways, it is um, provided that they have gone through a typesetting, sorry, a proofreading and editing process. Um, I did just refuse to continue working with one, uh, one gentleman who wanted to keep a lot of copyright and plagiarism problems within his book. I wasn't prepared to put my name to that there's another person who didn't want to invest in editing, but was willing to go down the proofreading. So, and a lot of independent self-published authors, they don't invest in the cover art. They don't look at the psychology of the book and where to position it. Um, So even though the content might be great, there are still a lot of um, unprofessionally finished books out there. And what we have is indie authors and self-published authors tend to have a fresher voice because the big five, they want to stick to the masses. And so you've got a very watered down mundane, what I call vanilla narrative because they know it sells. It's Mm -hmm. for the masses. It's not for the critical thinkers. It's not for the fresh thinkers. And it's certainly not for the game changers.
0: Yeah, no, exactly. And thank you for doing such a great work and being a voice for so many millions of women out there um going back to our topic about um women empowerment um so we have generally observed and i'm, I'm talking about myself that i have observed this uh, most of the time the, the men of the house um walks away from the responsibility um and after that the responsibility comes on the woman or the mother and then she does everything um to make sure the upbringing of their child is uh, is is good and then they work hard and eventually they become successful um so my, my, my question is why do you think um men run away from their responsibility and how can parents uh, condition their sons or nurture their sons in understanding that um they should treat women as as, as an equal parts rather than being um like a, rather than seeing them as as a sign of weakness they should see them as as a sign of inspiration and work with them instead of running away so what do you think about this problem overall
1: well that's a that's a bit of a loaded question <laughs> <laughs> um and i guess it depends on which culture which religion and which part of the world they're from Um, what social construct they're in, what social class they're in. Um, I've done a lot of work in um, the Arab world, within the Muslim community, with South Asians, um, around the world. I've also done a lot of work here in South America. Um, You know, I've lived and worked in over 50 countries. I speak over five different languages. And um, for me, one of the things that I see very present is especially in the Arabic Asian and whether it's Far East Asian or South Asian um, or in Latin America, the mothers do not give the sons enough responsibility. So when they actually grow up to be into their manhood, they don't know what to do with that responsibility because they have been indoctrinated through generation, through, their, through a perceived view of um, religion and social class, that women should do everything that women are there to serve men it's a very typical patriarchy um but it, i mean my a lot of my family are muslims so i'm going to speak from that point i was a muslim at one point um but then i chose that uh, once i'd studied theology i was like i'm not going to choose one above the other because everybody has a valid choice and i do not wish to um belong to a man-made construct. God is in all of us. Um, In every Mm -hmm. single religion, it says that, you know, he's closer to us than our jugular vein. And in every single holy script, it says, uh, I mean, like to take Islam, you love your mother first, you love your mother second, third, fourth, and then you love your father. Um, But what we see is a lot of these um, texts, whether they were written in um, Hebrew, whether they were written in Arabic, whether they were written in Hindi um, or old Mayan texts or whatever they were, not Mayan because that wouldn't really really be relevant because there's a lot of Tao foundations in that. But you have a very um, patriarchal society in a lot of these where they are afraid of the power of woman one of the things why female genital mutilation is so rife is because they do not want women to experience pleasure. They are afraid the women will run away from them. Men are afraid of women and it is world over. It's not, you know, the men um, back in, you know, Europe during the uh, turn of the century, well, last century, did not like being spoken back to by a woman, whether that was in London or Paris and Women were the ones that were trussed up in their girdles and their corsets and not allowed to show their ankles. And you know, so when you look through history, you can see how women have been oppressed, whether they were um natural medicine women, you know, and my thing is if you believe in God, whether you call him Allah, um uh, God or whatever you want to call science, if you believe in God and you believe in your Holy Scriptures, you will believe that God made man and woman equal. We are different, but we are equal. And any man who treats a woman less than him is actually disobeying the word of God. Um, And they choose to believe that.
0: So for a woman who, let's say, is in love with a man, how can she make sure that the man... Is is a, is a responsible one and uh, takes women and men equal before going into a serious relationship with him. Instead of you know being in a relationship with him, marrying him, and then finding out that oh he is uh, a typical patriarchal man. So, w- w- what are what are some red flags or signs which women can identify before committing to a man?
1: Well, again, it depends on their culture and their religion, because a lot of cultures, they go down the route of having arranged marriages. So the woman really doesn't have a lot of say in it because it's the parents who organize it. It's the parents who, I mean, I cause a bit of a storm in some circles because the dowry is basically the family selling the daughter. Mm. Women are not to be bought or sold. We are individuals. A dowry is a purchase of a woman. And whether you like to dress that up, no, no, that's an investment for their future. That's an investment in their house or an investment in, you know, we used to have um, a certain thing called the, the chest, which is like a wooden box and it would be filled with bed linens and things, you know, back in the 1940s and the 50s and 30s uh, in the UK where, you know, the money that a man gave the woman's family was to provide all of the household goods. But the thing that women have got to understand is if a man does not stimulate your mind, if he does not stimulate your soul and he does not stimulate your body without being in physical contact with him, do not have physical contact with him. Do not go and have the first kiss or hold the hand. You you have to let a man prove to you that he is worthy of you. You have to prove to the... The man has to prove that he is responsible. What is his finances like? How well does he take care of himself? Does he have a home that he takes care of? You know, what is his relationship like with his mother? Because the relationship a man has with his mother will tell a woman a lot about it. If he is doted on by his mother and she does everything for her... Sorry, he, she does everything for him and he is not grateful or he needs mummy to take care of him, then he is not going to be able to take care of her. He can have all the money in the world. He can have the most prestigious family in the world. But what if his family weren't there? How would he be able to stand on his own two feet? And if a man cannot wait for you to be sure that he is the right one and he can provide for you, then he's not the right guy for you.
0: Uh, you know how you mentioned that um, wait for the man to prove himself that he is the right person for you?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, but w- what about some South Asian communities um, where and even in those South Asian communities um, especially in villages or in rural areas where as soon as a female is born, she is being fed this idea that her sole purpose of existence is to t- get married have kids and take care of her husband so even when she grows up she she has only one thing in her mind that she has to serve her husband um e- e- even though if she's talented and she has some um, fire in her in in, her, in herself to do something um she she finds it really hard to overcome the traditional beliefs which have been fed into her mind since childhood um so how can those women at least try to get out of that mindset and come into a freedom or independent mindset?
1: Well, she can't, unless she moves away from the village, unless she is introduced to women who have a different alternative view. So it comes down to, I mean, you've mentioned South Asian villages, so let's just say Pakistan. I've got a lot of friends who are from Pakistan, from Bangladesh, from Afghanistan uh, Mm -hmm. and from India that, you know, we talk about these problems all the time. Um, and it's down to the South Asian or whether it's the Chinese women that are born out in the rice paddies, you know, again, very mm. similar. Um, if you're talking about the, the Arab women uh, that live out in the the farms, you know, the Beladies that are in the Arab world, Yanni, you, you have to think about how the women who are like them, there's no point me going to a village and talking about this. It has to be a lady from that area who has awoken. The responsibility is on the women from that area or from the nearest town or from the nearest city to step up and instead of being so excited that they've got a way that they now have this independence and that they are now enlightened or they've managed to move, say, to Canada or to America or to the UK and they've got this beautiful lifestyle and they don't want to actually have anything to do with the people back home in um, Pakistan. If these women are snubbing the village girls back home, the problem will continue. And I see a lot of it. A lot of the work that I did when I lived in Sheffield in England was actually educating a lot of the young girls in the city and organising trips back to Pakistan, looking at how they can actually educate these girls that what you've been taught and educating their mothers and educating the aunties you know yeah. your role and is not about you being service to men you're in service to your soul god gave you a soul and the more that we allow it to perpetuate and the more that the you know these ladies that have escaped the village ignore the problem they are part of the problem
0: and and, and you know one more thing which i've observed in these communities and this is my first experience that um Because they see women as just a machine to give birth to a child. Mm -hmm. So let's say if if it has been two years since you have married and you don't have two kids in two years, then people will feel like the woman is weak or has some kind of disease. And then in in those communities, um, those communities won't respect that woman. Even though Mm -hmm. science says that once you have a kid, you should wait for three years in order to have another kid. But they, they don't understand it. They're like, no, uh, we don't believe science because our grandparents did the same thing. They had four kids in four years. Our, our parents did the same thing. So why don't we do it? Why, why do we believe Because we're science? not
1: living in the same times as them.
0: Yeah. But, and but again, it's this...
1: about educating the culture of that village, educating the culture of that town, educating the elders and saying, look, you can say that my grandparents did it, my parents did it, but look at their living conditions. Your grandparents probably didn't have electricity, but you do now. Your parents probably didn't have a mobile phone. Pretty much guessing they didn't have a mobile phone or a television or a car. They probably do now. Hmm. Times are different. And if you can evolve to have Facebook and you can have a mobile phone and you can have your Adidas trainers, which your grandparents didn't have, then, you know, logically... It means that the way you live life is very different. And the thing is, it's like when all this thing about the shame being on the woman, this is, again, a very old mindset, because what if it's the man that's infertile? Mm. What if the amount of pressure to give birth has been building up in this young girl to have a child? That pressure is actually making her infertile. Because the pre- because where your mind, where you, your energy goes, you know, this is the thing. If you are under pressure to perform, whether it's on stage, whether it's in business, whether it's in school during an exam, or whether it's under pressure to perform to provide a child, that pressure is insurmountable for some people to be able to cope with. And, you know, in the Quran, God is the best of planners. If God doesn't want you to get pregnant, <laughs> you ain't getting pregnant.
0: Yeah, no, that's true. Um, I'm very much impressed by your knowledge. You must, you feel like a very, very knowledgeable person. And to be honest, uh, and uh, I'm not doubting Thank on you. other people's knowledge, but I feel, out of all the guests which I have had on my podcast, I feel you, you are the most knowledgeable one.
1: Thank you. Well, you know, it comes from being a geek and traveling the world nonstop and having lived a very diverse life. And, you know, I've been single for four years because a man has not presented himself to me that is worthy of who I am. I run my own business. I have my children. Um, I, have, I mean, my children are back home in the UK with their father because me stepping away, I needed to heal myself from some trauma that I went through. I had to put myself first because I could not have been the mother I wanted to be. The upside of that is my ex-husband has now had to step up and provide for his children. My children have had, my two sons have had to become responsible for themselves. I mean, they're responsible for themselves anyway. Um, But, you know, when you speak different languages and you've lived and worked in over 50 countries, I mean, I've been to a lot more countries than that, but the ones I've lived and worked with and with all the people that I've worked with from different ethnicities, different cultures, the amount of study that I've done into different cultures around the world, you know, you do learn a thing or two. And I always believe the more you learn about other people, the more you learn about yourself. And most people only stick to one area of the world. You know, they might move from city to city in their country, But very, very few people are like myself who live a digital nomad life. I am going, I mean, if I was back in um, Arabia, you know, several thousand years ago, I'd be bought, I would be a Badawi, you know, a Bedouin. Mm. I never stay in one place long enough to, you know, to build a community because the world is my community. All people from around the world are my people. We are all connected. We are all human beings on this planet here to serve and enlighten each other and learn from each other, whether I'm learning from the cleaner or whether I'm learning from a chief executive or whether I'm learning from the bus driver or the taxi driver or, you know, from a client. We are all equal in the eyes of God. And anybody that tells you differently, return to Scripture. And if your people are telling you that Scripture, says you are not entitled To live a life of freedom on your terms. God gave you a personality. God gave you a voice. I encourage you to use it. And women, you have a pair of ovaries. You have the opportunity to grow life within you. For nine months, you can grow a baby, a human life inside of you. And then you produce the food that can keep that child alive for up to a couple of years and beyond. If you can do that, you can do anything. And as long as you believe in yourself and you remember that God is within you, no one else can stop you from being who you choose to be. No one.
0: Yes, that's so nice. Um, thank you, Don. That was You're so hard I just got lost in the words. but um, <laughs> Thank you so much for being on the show.
1: You're very welcome.
0: Thank you for for being on the podcast and it's really a thought awakening podcast and like I'm I'm forced to think about so many things right now which maybe I never thought before. Um which I feel is fine because um, that's how we grow, that's how we become better, that's how we improve ourselves. Mm-hmm. Um so even um on a personal note, thank you for um highlighting so many things which should have been highlighted before and I wish you all the success in your future thank you so um, much activities and everything. Thank you, Don. Thank
1: you. You're very, very welcome. And you know if anybody wants to reach out to me um message me, they're more than welcome to do so. Uh,
0: where where can they message you?
1: And they can find me via my website, dawnbates.com. I send out um, an email every couple of weeks. It's full of news. It's not full of sales pitches and, you know, begging people to buy from me. They are interesting newsletters, even if I do say so myself. Hmm. Um, But if they go to dawnbates.com, all of my social media links are on my website. They can click the the link at the top of the page to dive in and join my email list. Um, But, yeah, I'm always happy to have a conversation with people. Um, And, you know, really help inspire and motivate other women and, you know, be of service. That's what we're here for, to be of service.
0: Yeah. Thank thank you so much, Dawn. You're very
1: welcome. Thank you so much.